Hey, thanks for downloading and listening to the New Life Church Downtown Podcast. We'd love to stay connected on Instagram at NLC Downtown Little Rock or TikTok at NLC Downtown. We have devotionals, audio from our weekend messages, conversations about big topics and culture today, and lots of options for you to become a disciple of Jesus. We aren't just a Sunday church. We want to be here for you Monday through Saturday too. Looking forward to getting to know you better. Uh, We've been in a series uh, talking about who is Jesus. Now, I think this is one of the most important questions that we can ask. And so we talked about Jesus as the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. Uh, We talked about him as the prophet. He's the one who declares God's word and brings healing. And this week, we're going to talk about Jesus as the perfect priest. Everybody say priest. We all got things we think of when we hear the word priest, right? We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But our text for today is going to be Mark chapter 2. Everybody go to Mark chapter 2 with me real quick. If you got your Bible with you. Anybody got their electronic Bible on their cell phone? Go to it. Mark chapter 2. I'm in the New Living Translation. And uh, here's what we're going to do. Carly's going to read the word for us. And I just want you guys to focus in. I want you to soak in the text for today. Then we're going to jump into it. So let's do it. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later... The news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole in the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's powerful, it's authoritative. God, we thank you that it tells the story of who we are and who you've designed for us to be. God, we thank you that more than that, it tells us of your your love for us. And so God, help us learn who you are. God, help us learn of your plan. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Have you all ever been driving around in your car, your friend's car, and suddenly you smell something? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you just smell something. Something's not quite right. I I was about 17, 18 years old, and I was driving around in a Ford Explorer, and all of a sudden, I smelled something, okay? And I'm like, gosh, what is that smell? 
And I was like, you know what I think it is? I think I got a sandwich sitting in the back of the car rotting, right? So I'm driving around. I'm just smelling this terrible smell. It keeps getting worse, worse, worse. I'm like, gosh, I got a thick roast beef sandwich in the back of my I don't know why it was sandwiches, but I was like, I know I've got a roast beef sandwich in the back of my car. And so I drive through the day. I go through the whole day. And finally, I go back there to start searching for this sandwich. Now, you know your car's got to be a wreck. If in your mind, you're like, I'm going to have to search for the sandwich in my car, right? There's papers, all this kind of stuff back there. And so I, so, I go back there looking, and it, w- it wasn't a sandwich that was in the back of my car. See, I, I had been fishing a ton, and I had a car battery that I used for my trolling motor. And what had happened was I was late to an appointment, and I was swerving, like swerving my Jeep. And that car battery had turned over in my Jeep, and that battery acid had eaten its way all the way through my leather seats. It had eaten its way all the way through the carpet, and it was starting to drip on the street. That, that battery acid had burnt all the way through my car. And so, thank God, I was interning at a church at the time, and the youth pastor had been uh, a chemistry teacher for his undergrad, and so he went out. Who knows what he grabbed? Anybody know? Baking soda. Exactly. I never would have gotten that. If, if I had not found him, that would have eaten all the way through my car. Now, here's the truth. Here's what we know is that we all have things that are eating through the frame of our life. Amen? We have all have things that are going on in our lives that, that, are, that are eating away at, at, at the deepest part of us and something uh, that, that's undermining us at the deepest level. But, but here's the truth. What we find and what we see in this text is that often our main problem is not our main problem, right? You know, we think our main problem is our family problems, It's our financial problems. It's our social problems, our physical problems, even our habitual problems. What we find in the Bible is that our issue is deeper than that. And in fact, we need intercession. With my car, I needed help. I had no idea what I needed to do, but I needed somebody who would jump in and who would help me. Okay, so we're going to go to class a little bit today. Are you all with me? Okay, it's going to be a little bit of a lecture, but I I think there's going to be something in here that might help you. The, the function of the priest in the Old Testament was to intercede between God and man. What did that mean? They stood before God and man, and they made sacrifices on behalf of the people. So who were they? What did they do? Priests were righteous mediators between God and the Israelite people. As Levites, everybody say Levites. One of their main tasks was to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people and to serve in the upkeep of the temple. So they took care of the maintenance. Uh, they, they took care of the spiritual functions. And they took care of the financial functions. Okay, so the high priest was the top dog. Everybody say high priest. We're, we're going to come back to the high priest in a minute. Uh, but, but during this day, during Jesus' day, the, the office of the priest had become corrupted. Religious p- priests had actually become political figures. And what was happening is these people were starting to look at their own interest. And what they did is they partnered with the Romans and they exploited the people rather than healing and helping the people. Isn't this what we think of when we think of priests today? Right? That word, we think of corruption. We think about the sex scandals in the Catholic Church. We think about pastors who claim to live one life but actually live a totally different life. We think about pastors who are losing their churches, getting uh, removed from office, churches that are falling apart. We think about countless scandals in the church, affairs and abuse of all kinds, especially around money. And we think about people who claim to live one thing but live another. But with Jesus, what we're going to see today 
is that we have a perfect priest who will never let us down. A priest who meets and exceeds all of our expectations. So we're, we're going to talk about how he's the perfect priest. So point number one, if you're taking notes, is this. Jesus is the perfect priest who can relate to us. Everybody say relate to us. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house he was staying at was so packed with visitors, there was no more room even outside the door. I love this passage. We see something really clearly. The people loved Jesus. Like it says, as, as the word spread, the house got packed. He was the type of pastor that people wanted to be around. You know, something I, I joke about all the time, is when I meet people, the last thing I want to talk about is what I do, right? Like if I meet somebody on a plane or if I'm traveling or out, they're like, so what do you do? As soon as I tell them I'm a pastor, all the cuss words and all the other things they'd said when they were really being themselves around me, all that's going to stop, and they're going to start apologizing for who they are and where they're at. Now, what we see with Jesus is that sinful people love to be around him. Think about that. When you think about religion or you think about God, do you think, I want to be around that when I'm at my worst? But what we see in the scripture is that people who are struggling run to Jesus. Okay, he was holy. Everybody say holy. He was holy, but he was holy and holy relatable. He was fully relatable to us. He wasn't this holier-than-thou person, all right? We all know somebody in our life. Think about that person, all right? You got that auntie in your life, right? That person you get around, you're like, when I get around them, I'm going to start feeling guilty. I'm not even going to know what I feel guilty for, but they just carry like this presence about them that makes me feel guilty. But listen, y'all, Jesus was someone that people wanted at their parties. Okay, Jesus was somebody that people wanted around when they were getting together, when they were having a good time. There was something about him that people wanted to be around. Why were people attracted to him? Hebrews says this in chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. When we approach Jesus with our struggles, I want you to think about that for a second. What's something you struggle with in your life? Whether it be fear, maybe something nobody else knows around you. Anxiety, depression, maybe a secret sin that if people knew about it, you'd be ashamed. What the Bible says is that Jesus can relate to us in our struggles. What does this mean? This is not, Jesus is not like your buddy who sins the same way that you do, so you don't have to feel bad about yourself. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You got that friend that you bring the things to. But Jesus is the person who's been tempted in every way. But here's the difference between Jesus and your drinking buddy, right? Jesus felt the pressures that we went through, but he didn't succumb to them. And somehow, think about this. Who do you know who's like perfect? Do you want to hang out with them? <laughs> I don't. I, I, I don't know what it is. But somehow, Jesus was the type of person who had it all together, but you actually wanted to be around him. Listen, Jesus knows what it's like to try to take his future into his own hands and not trust God. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted and to not trust in God's timing. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted to get the glory without first going to the cross. That's what the whole desert temptation was about. The devil was trying to say, hey, I know God's got this plan for you and God's got this timing for you, but you could have what you want right now instead of waiting. But Jesus didn't give in. Listen, if y'all don't hear anything else from me this morning, Jesus does not require a perfect life from you. God does not require a perfect life from you. He requires that you trust in the one who lived a perfect life. That's Jesus. That's what he did. 
And all he asks is that we accept the gift and all that comes with it. So point number one, Jesus is the perfect priest who can relate to us. Point number two, Jesus is the perfect priest who can forgive us. Everybody say forgive us. Now notice I said he can forgive us. We're going to talk about that here in a second. Mark 2, 5 through 9. I'm going to read this section here. It says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Let's just think about this for a second. You're paralyzed, okay? You've got something serious going on. You've got something so serious going on that four of your best friends go to a party that they hear a healer is at, and they carry you on a mat. It's so serious, in fact, that your friends get to the party, and they can't even push through the crowd. So what do they do? They climb to the roof. Imagine this. Somebody climbs to the roof, gets a jackhammer, and starts drilling down into the concrete upstairs. This is what's going on. Now, they didn't have a jackhammer. He's digging through the hay and the tar and all the dirt and that, that sort of thing that was above. But this is the seriousness. And imagine you go to this person thinking you're going to get healing, and he says, you know what? Your sins are forgiven. What are you thinking? You're like, dude, are you kidding me? My sins, I came here to, to get my, my legs fixed, okay? For a paralyzed person in this day, be, being paralyzed would have meant more, most likely that they were totally financially destitute, that they were alone, they were totally dependent on others. They didn't have the modern things that we have, the technology, wheelchairs, just basic things like that. He would have been totally dependent on other people. What's he asking for? He's asking for his freedom, He's asking for his life, and here's what Jesus is saying. Your biggest need is not your biggest need. What you think is your problem is not actually your problem. How many of you guys in here can walk, but you're still not satisfied in life? How often have you thought, if I can just get this thing, if I only had this, then I'd be okay? And then you got that thing and you weren't okay. You know who some of the saddest people in the world are? Celebrities. Because they live for fame, they live for glory, they live for wealth, and they get all three of those things, and they find it doesn't satisfy them at the deepest level, that there's still something broken inside of them. And, and here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, your need to walk is a need you have, and I'm going to deal with that, but that's not your deepest need. I wonder how many of us say, if, if only I had a different job, then I'd be satisfied. If only I got the promotion, then everything would be okay. If only I had a bigger house then. If only I lived in a different city, like if I moved away then. Only, if only I had a wedding ring, hello. <laughs> then. If only I were famous, then. If only I were skinnier, then I'd be okay. If only I had a different nose or different parents or if I wasn't sick or if I had a different spouse or if people only realized how great I was, then. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. Jesus came to set you free from the if-onlys. Jesus came to set you free from like, if I only had this, if I could only achieve that, if I only looked like that. And he's saying, you can have freedom right where you're at. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter four. He says, not that I was ever in need. Now this is a person who was shipwrecked, who was bitten by a snake, who lost basically everything. He says, for I've learned how to be what? Everybody say content. Y'all, being content is one of the greatest gifts that you can have in life. I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a financial advisor who makes about a million dollars a year. And I sent a buddy to him to get some business advice. And he sat down with him. This guy's 34 years old. I sent my buddy to him and he said, 
what do I need to do? How, how can I grow? He said, I have a question for you. He said, what are you looking for? What are you looking for in business and in life? And he said, but I want to warn you before you answer. If your answer is more, more money, more stuff, he said, I can't help you. The secret to life, now this is a person who has everything, who's learned. The secret of life is not more. The secret of life is finding purpose and finding destiny. And the truth is what the story of the Bible is, is that God created us from the dust. He breathed life into us and he created us with love and for a purpose. But we fell. We made decisions. Anybody in here made bad decisions? We made decisions that pulled us away from our purpose. And from that moment, God put a plan in motion to bring us back into loving relationship with him and back into purpose. Now, you notice earlier I said he can forgive. Now, Dwayne, up here, he was emceeing earlier. If I punched Dwayne in the face, it should be a mistake. And Marquet came up to me and said, Bronson, don't worry, I forgive you. Would I be forgiven? No. The person I sin against is the person who has to offer forgiveness to me. Listen to me. Jesus is the only one who has ever walked, who has ever lived, who can offer us true forgiveness. Because when we sin, although we sin against others, our chief sin is against the one who designed us and who created us. And here's the most amazing thing about being a Jesus follower, is that when we receive that forgiveness, that love and that purpose that God designed us for, we can start to walk in it. And what we're going to find is true contentment. I've learned how to live on almost nothing, Paul says in verse 12. Or with everything, which is actually harder, I would challenge you. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything. Everybody say everything. Maybe you know it as all things. I can do what? Everything. All things through Christ who gives me strength. They're not saying, not saying I can bench press 300 pounds, Right? Athletes, we got any athletes in the room? The lacrosse team is here. I don't know if y'all saw that. It's a football team. That's a joke. <laughs> yeah, I made that joke a couple times. Everybody didn't hear it, okay? It's not about athletic endeavors. It's about enduring the strain of life. Come on, has anybody had trouble in life? Come on, you better raise your hand. You ever had struggle in life? Jesus is someone who can relate to our struggle. And listen to me, this is the greatest power on earth. He can give you the power to endure struggle with steel in your veins. Because your identity is not in what you do or who you produce, but who you know. And who we know is the God who created and spun this whole earth into being. You know what the most boring book of the Bible is? Leviticus. Let's talk about it. We're going to be in Leviticus 16. Verse 15 and then 20 through 22. Okay, I want to talk for a second about the high priest. So what the high priest would do, and Aaron does it first, is the high priest was the chief priest. He was the boss of the priest. He, he was the top dog. And what he would do is once a year he would go in and he would make sacrifices for the sins of all the people, all the nation. And what he would do is there's a number of different things he would do, but he would have to wear the right clothes. He'd have to do the right cleaning rituals. He would have to do all kinds of different things. And they would put bells on him and tie a rope around his waist. Okay, why? Not because he's a cat all right, with a little bell on his neck. But because when he stopped moving, if, if he didn't do everything right, if he didn't approach the Holy of Holies perfectly, he would drop dead where he stood. And they had the bells on him to see if he was still moving. <laughs> 
and they had the rope around his waist so they could drag his dead body out of there if he did something wrong, okay? Now, at Jesus' day, uh, historians are, are a little divided on this, but most people say that there was a big, thick veil. Now, there was definitely a veil, but the size of it's what they disagree on. But we're going to go with this. It was 60 feet tall. Some say 30 feet tall, but whatever. 60 feet tall by 20 feet wide by four inches thick. Think about how thick of a curtain that is, okay? Now, we're going to come back to that in a second. Let's look at Leviticus 16. It says, then Aaron, this is the high priest, must slaughter, everybody say slaughter. (laughs) I'm just trying to get you involved here. Okay. Slaughter the first goat as a sin offering for the people and carry its blood behind the inner curtain. We just talked about that curtain. There he will sprinkle the goat's blood all over the atonement cover and on the front of it. Let's skip to verse 20. When Aaron had finished purifying the most holy place in the tabernacle and the altar, he must present the live goat. So there's two goats. There's one goat that's killed. There's one goat that's alive. He'll lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness. Everybody say wickedness. The rebellion say rebellion. And the sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Then the man specifically chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. This is called scapegoating. This is where we get that word for. They would put all the guilt on the goat and they would drive into the wilderness. And as the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate place. So let's look at it. There's two goats. One's killed. And one's left to go into the wilderness to carry all the people's sin. Here, here's the story of the gospel. Here, here's the story of the scripture. All of the Old Testament points to and is fulfilled by the person of Jesus. Jesus represents both of the goats. He's the one that's slaughtered. He's the one who the sins of all the world was put on. And he was driven into outer darkness. He was separated from God. He had always lived in deep relationship with God. And we're going to look at this more on Good Friday. And so I'm not going to tell you everything with this. So you're going to have to come back, okay? And he was driven into outer darkness. You know, what that represents is that Jesus, Jesus was murdered. He, would, he was killed on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The presence of God was pulled from him. And he went out into hell and he received the punishment that we deserved. You know, for a lot of us, we think about Jesus, we think he's like my youth pastor with the baking soda, right? He just comes in, he sees this car basically on fire and just neutralizes the acid. Here's the story of the gospel. Jesus became the car. Jesus was destroyed by the acid. Jesus was burnt to the core for us. A lot of times we look at the gospel, we look at the scripture, and we think he's just coming in to neutralize the pain. No, the scripture says that you have become made new, right? You're a new what? A new creation. God has made us totally new. Jesus took on all of our sin and was destroyed on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. We've been made new. You know, the nation of Israel, uh, the priests had authority on matters of right behavior, okay? Priests thus functioned as mediators standing between God and human beings, Priests were called to interpret the law and to announce legal decisions. When Jesus says this man is forgiven, listen to me, I know this is a lot. He's saying you have been legally cleared of all of your guilt, all of your shame. Yo, that's the greatest gift we could ever have. Here's what Jesus is saying. You never have to live with that guilt again. 
You never have to walk around with that sense of not enoughness again because you are made complete in me. And listen, it doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you're not going to make mistakes. But it means that you can walk through life with God, not as an enemy of God. And you can learn to be more and more like him. Jesus is offering us forgiveness so that we don't have to live for the if-onlys. I wonder if anybody in here has an if-only. Jesus offers a better way. Point number one, Jesus is the perfect high priest who can relate to us. We want him around. Point number two, Jesus is the perfect high priest who can forgive us. And point number three, Jesus is the perfect high priest who can heal us. Look at this, Mark 2. We're going to close here. Jacob, wherever you're at, you can come up and bring the spiritual music. Mark 2, 10 through 12. says, so I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. And they were amazed and praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this before. Stand up, take your mat, and go home. Now, this can take so many forms for all of us. But here's what I want us to see. Jesus doesn't just forgive. He heals and restore. Uh, some of you all have heard this before. Have you all ever seen the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? You all seen that? That's my life story, okay? I got in a little trouble. My mom got scared. She sent me to live with my auntie and uncle in Columbus, Ohio, okay? <laughs> so, so here's what happened. Is I, I had developed a drug addiction at a young age. I had a dad who was an addict um, who was also going through some things. And my mom separated me from my environment. And y'all, I, I moved into the most bizarre life that I had ever seen. Like I was going to these Christian parties and uh, they were doing karaoke sober, which was the strangest thing I'd ever been a part of. And I was walking around the house, ripping doors open, trying to figure out where people were doing drugs and where people were hooking up because I knew like there's no way a group of teenagers are together and are not doing these things. It didn't make sense to me. And so here's what happened is for me, a few months in, I, I, I met Jesus. Like I had a genuine encounter with Jesus. Now I had grown up my entire life and I had believed that Jesus existed. I had believed even that he was God himself. But listen, it meant nothing for the way that I lived my life. The, the Bible says that even the demons, think about that, even the demons believe. So if we just believe, is that enough? Now the scripture says, that your faith will be shown by your actions, that faith without works is absolutely dead. And so we're saved by faith in Jesus, but listen to me, the mark of being saved by Jesus is actually wanting to live with him and walk with him and be changed by him. And so what happened is I kind of entered into this bizarro Christian world, right? And what I found is that I could have a soul satisfaction that lasted longer than one night. I can have a satisfaction and a peace. Y'all listen to me. Some of y'all have struggled with this. You've been there. I know none of y'all are struggling with this right now because we're in church. We all got it together. But I remember the first time I took pain pills. The best way I would describe it, I couldn't have used these words at the time, but it was like I experienced peace for the first time. I remember when that washed over me. I was 15 years old. I'd broken my front two teeth on the bricks on the side of a pool. It was terrible got some pain pills, and I was like, this is what I've been looking for. 
And so I spent the next five years doing everything I could do to get that. And it was good for a little while. But eventually it ate me alive. Here's the truth about any sort of peace you find outside of God. You can take this with you to the bank. It'll be good for a little while, but it will not sustain you. It will not be a peace that lasts. And what I found in the person of Jesus is I found a peace that lasts, a peace that stayed with me. And here's the remarkable thing. Jesus dealt with my internal healing, the forgiveness I need. But it actually started to transform the outside of my life. And God started to heal all the broken places from where I didn't have a healthy father figure, where I didn't have a healthy home. No idea what that looked like. I didn't know what it was like to raise kids. God brought people around me and started to slowly but surely heal every part of our life. Yo, listen, Jesus is the perfect priest who came to feel everything we ever felt but be without sin. He's the perfect priest who came to forgive us because he's God himself come to planet earth. And he came to heal us and to bring wholeness and restoration to us. And y'all, here's the coolest part about being a Jesus follower is the Bible actually says that we are a royal priesthood. Everybody say royal priesthood. What does that even mean? It means that we get to go out and to bring that healing and that hope to the people and to the world around us. And so here's my question for you as we close. What's your if only? How's it worked out for you? And might you be willing to try something different? Maybe you're in here and you're like, Pastor Bronson, I have believed my entire life but I have no peace. I've never experienced that peace you're talking about. Y'all, you can walk out of here this moment with that peace and with that hope and with your life transformed in Jesus' name. Amen. We're gonna go into a time and we're gonna respond to God. This may be different for some of you guys, but I'm gonna walk you through it. We, We believe that God forgives us, but every time Jesus gave a response, there was a move of faith. Can you imagine if the man whose legs were healed, had said, no, I'm not healed. I'm just going to lay here. Y'all, that's what we do when we don't respond and start walking with God. Amen. And so this is a moment where you can take that something that God's doing on the inside and you can start to work it out externally. And so there's crosses right here. There's a baptismal in front of it. Don't throw it in the baptismal. We didn't think that through. We'll work on that for next service. There's cards in your seats. On the front, it says things I'm praying for. On the back, it says things I'm thankful for. Y'all, if you're going through something, your family's going through something, you're struggling in life, there's a pin in the seat back in front of you. I want to encourage you to write down what you're praying for. And the other side, y'all, there's nothing more liberating than being thankful for what God's already given you. Amen? On the other side, start to write down things you're thankful for, and you can leave it at the cross. You're going to see in the corners, there's candles lit. Some of you may have friends who don't know Jesus family members who don't know Jesus. You can go over, you can pray, you can light a candle, you can pray for them. Ask that the light of God would enter the darkness of their life. Then at the sound booth on either side, there's communion cups. You can go back and take communion. That's a commitment saying, God, I believe that your blood covers me, believe that your body was broken for me, and that despite how I've continued to struggle, you still love me. And the last thing we have is prayer. If if you want prayer this morning, like, God started stirring something up in your heart. Listen, I want you to hear me on this. God's stirring something in your heart. You've been trying to find satisfaction your own way and you want something different. There's gonna be a pastor, elder in the back and they wanna pray with you. 
you, know, you can tell them, hey, I, I want that life. And they will pray with you, pray over you. And you can have that in a moment. Y'all, I did this 15 years ago and it transformed everything about my life. God's created you with a hope, a purpose, and a future in Jesus. Amen. So I've got two questions, two simple questions. What's God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it?